Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Hey, 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 what's up, Path to Freedom listeners, and thank you so much for dropping in. This is episode 122. Today, I'm joined by Rich Moyer, who is the founder and CEO of Hop-In Brands. Uh, Fun concept for me to talk about. Uh, You guys know I love to joke about how some of the, the least sexy businesses can be uh, the most attractive for a lot of different reasons. Um, a lot of franchise businesses out there that, you know, are are in a line of work that are just not necessarily that sexy or that fun to talk about. Certainly doesn't mean they're not good businesses, but always fun when I get the chance to uh, talk about a brand that that is fun and a little bit sexier. And and today's episode is a great example of that. So Hoppin Brands is one of, if not the first franchise businesses in the self-poor or self-serve uh, alcohol industry. So depending on the the state and the local rules and regulations on alcohol, uh, these locations can either be entirely self-serve, where it's self-serve beer, wine, seltzers, cider, as well as cocktails, and in other cases where maybe the the state laws don't allow self-serve cocktails, they'll have a bar with, with bartenders. But nonetheless, really cool technology, great customer experience. And my favorite part of this type of a concept is removing, you know, so many of the headaches and challenges that come with most other businesses in the food and beverage industry. There's no food, right? They do partner with local food trucks and restaurants so that, you know, customers have food options, but not something that the franchise owners have to worry about or manage in this business. So, um, like I said, really fun concept, hopping brands. Uh, Let's go ahead and get into it with the founder and CEO, Rich Moyer. So pour yourself a beer or whatever your favorite cocktail is and settle in as we hear from Rich Moyer and Hoppin' Brands. Hey, what's up, Pat, the Freedom listeners, and thank you for dropping into another episode. Today, I'm joined by Rich Moyer. Rich is the founder and CEO of Hoppin' Brands. So this is a fun concept for me to talk about. You know, those that have listened to the podcast for a while, you know that I you know, sometimes nerd out on what I call the dirty, unsexy service businesses, you know, plumbing, HVAC, you know, shelving, insulation. This is way sexier than than any of that. So fun to talk about, but also seems like, you know, a great business opportunity as well. So um, Rich, first of all, thank you for joining the show, man. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So Give us kind of the the high level overview. What is what is Hoppin Brands? 
Yeah, I always like to say we're we're kind of shaking up the food and beverage industry when it comes to franchising, just the way we operate. But we're a self-serve beer, wine, and cocktail tap room in states that are legal to self-serve cocktails. We'll have 100% self-serve cocktails. Um, if it is not legal, then we'll have self-serve beer, wine, ciders, and seltzers, and then a full cocktail bar. So very simple concept, low overhead, great margins. And we don't, we don't use, we usually don't have food inside of our, our concept. We work with neighboring restaurants or food trucks. So overall, it's just a, a cool, fun brand, something different, like you mentioned, uh, than what you're usually chatting about. Yeah, no doubt. And it sounds to me like, you know, you guys have kind of identified some of the typical pain points that most like restaurant and bar owners, you know, run into. I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast plenty of times, like, you know, with my consulting work, I work with very few food and beverage brands. And and there's, you know, I would say some specific reasons for that, right? They tend to be very, very high capital requirements, but also just very difficult businesses with, you know, fairly low margin potential. And a lot of it's got to do with, you know, the overhead and just you know, the, the complexities of, you know, running a kitchen and, you know, inventory that can expire. So, you know, it sounds like you guys have, have really kind of removed a lot of those things, making it a more simplified business. But, you know, I would imagine that that also translates to a better margin potential. So, um, tell us a little bit. So you're, you're based in Charlotte, another, another North Carolina guy, um, how did you, how did you get into to this line of work? Like, do you have a background in food and beverage or like what kind of led up to, you know, starting hopping and now franchising it? Yeah, no, my background is in, uh, golf industry. I was a PGA golf professional in 2006 when I graduated high school, I went straight to Myrtle beach. I went to a small golf school, got my PGA card in 2012, just on my own and was a golf pro, was a club pro, teaching pro, um, never played professionally, but was on the other side of the counter. And in that industry, I realized everybody coming in on the other side of my counter was an entrepreneur or they were in sales. Mm-hmm. So I quickly started to ask, hey, what do you guys do for a living? And that's what they would tell me. So they are, I need to figure out how I can be on that side of the counter. Yeah, And that led me into getting into sales. Sales led me into starting my first company in 2014, which was in the construction industry. I quickly grew that, sold that and exited in February of 2017. Uh, In 2016, I started an ice cream shop with two of my really good friends that had a family recipe. And we've grown that now to five locations and we'll have um, six and seven opening this year. And Hopping was brought to me by a friend at the time just to saw the concept in another city. And it was just a little bit smaller, a little bit different. And my original thought when he called me and said, hey, you want to open up a bar was absolutely not and hung up the phone. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Growing up in the restaurant industry where my parents owned restaurants, had lived in it their entire life, watching them work 24-7 and dealing with the things that you just mentioned. I was like, I don't want to deal with anything uh, that has to do with it. And then being in Myrtle Beach, all my friends were bartenders. So watching Mm -hmm. them give away drinks for free. Yeah. I was like. That's not it. So he sent me a video, I think the next morning of the technology. I was like, all right, that eliminates 90% of a bar owner's headaches because it's it's all tech-based. Every tenth of an ounce is on somebody's credit card or on your employee card. Yeah. Um, so that was very intriguing. Once it was tech-backed, 
that's where the the vision came from. And that happened February 2017, shortly after I sold my company. Uh, we signed a lease, opened up our doors in December uh, of the first our first location. And since then, uh, everybody that came in was like, man, this concept's awesome. Your branding's awesome. Can we franchise this or can we open one in another city? We were early, haven't really proven the concept fully. Um, so that was always top of mind that we could potentially do that. And we were in the motion of getting our FDD finalized in 2019, 2020 came along pandemic. Yeah. At that point, it's just stay above water. Um, so yeah, 2020, 2021 was stay above water, keep, keep our team paid and keep food on their table for their families. Mm-hmm. And then we started rolling it back out 2022, got everything finalized. And here we are today with three franchises signed and a bunch uh, in the pipeline. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, did did you have the thought of franchising it? You know, when you were first opening that first location for Hoppin, was that something that had even crossed your mind as as a possibility, or did that thought really come when other people started saying, "Hey, we want to bring this back to to our area." Yeah, it never really crossed my mind early on, right? Because yeah. every business that I was in prior, I was either kind of an investor in and wasn't on day-to-day operations or my construction company, I was in it day-to-day for 16 hours a week. Um, so until I actually opened the concept and saw how easy, I mean, it's the easiest business that I've had ever operated or ran myself um, to run. So yes, twofold. No, I didn't think of that from day one, but once I realized that this was can be easily processed and made streamlined to, to grow. And then two, yeah, when people are coming in like, man, this, this concept's awesome. Your branding's awesome. What you guys done is completely different. Then we really started to, to think through it, but we needed to prove that concept. So we opened up another one in Charlotte, um, different name, but similar concept. And then one in Greenville, South Carolina. And once we saw that it can be successful in in multiple areas, that's when we, we said, all right, let's go. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about the the technology, because that's obviously a big piece of this. You know, what makes it different, not only to the customers coming in, but, you know, as you've already kind of mentioned to your franchise owners, takes a lot of the the headaches away. Um, so explain to those listening a little bit more, like, what is this technology, this, you know, self-serve uh, for beer, wine, or cocktails where where that's an option yeah so we we use a technology called pour my beer um, they're headquartered out of philadelphia but basically the process when you walk in you will check your id make sure your legal age open up a tab with your credit card and give you an rfid wristband everything is based off of that rfid wristband you can pour as much as you want or as little as you want so a tenth of an ounce and taste it um, all the way up to a full glass and that tab is just a running tab. There are some legal limits per state, depending on what state you're in. So there are some some controls there. Uh, but when it comes to being a franchisee or an owner, I have access to every single ounce that's poured and what credit card it goes to or what employee card it goes to. So it gives you peace of mind that you know you can easily find out if somebody's stealing. The technology allows us to take the national average of 24-ish, 25% keg waste down to three to 4%. Wow. So we are maximizing our profit margins on every single keg. And I can get every ounce out of that keg because of our, our 
you know, the back end of our system shows us how much is left in that keg. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of benefits. That's just some of the key, key benefits that, you know, we mentioned, but, um, outside of that, we can get into so many of the weeds of what the technology does. Yeah. I was going to ask if there were any statistics in terms of like, you know, at a typical bar, how much alcohol is wasted or, you know, essentially given away for free, right? Because the bartenders are over pouring or hooking their friends up with free drinks. So, you know, this, like you said, every ounce is tracked. So what did you say that the national average of keg waste? 24, 25%. Jeez, that's a it's, it's upwards of yeah that that number. Uh, wow. I mean, you just go to a go to a, a any restaurant or bar and watch the bartender pour, especially a busy bartender, right? If they're sure. super busy yeah. and they're pouring a draft beer, I guarantee you they're gonna they're, they're just gonna let that overpour um, yeah. until they can figure out how to get it get it right. And then yes, you got people that steal all the time. We have a rule that if you give a drink away, you're gone. Um, there's no questions asked and that's just how we operate from, from the top down. Yeah. So that's, that's huge, right? The, the wastage piece of this kind of being solved. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the appeal from a consumer standpoint. Do you see that your customers coming in, they, they prefer, you know, being able to just go pour their own drink when, when they want to, like, I would imagine that's nice in a lot of ways versus, you know, having to wait sometimes 10, 15 minutes on a busy bartender to, to get their next drink. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's different. That's the biggest thing. Second. Yeah. People love convenience nowadays. Um, so it's, I call it the Amazon effect, being able to know when you're going to get something, how quickly it's going to come to you. Uh, is very important, especially for the younger younger demographic. They want the convenience to go maybe try 20 beers and only pour two ounces of each beer um, instead of saying, hey, I, I have to get a full glass of a beer and then maybe not like it. So the convenience factor is, is huge. The, the cool factor of being able to pour your own drink um, or use a, a glass rinser before you pour your own drink, which is something that they only have seen bartenders do in the past, um, is definitely huge. And we we can have i always say we have 60 plus bartenders at one time because we have 60 plus self-serve taps yeah so you never you never wait for a drink i mean we can have 600 people inside of our location and nobody really is waiting for a drink unless our cocktail bar does get a little busier but even that doesn't get busy because our staff is not pouring draft beer you know which takes a, a lot longer than potentially making a, a simple cocktail yeah they've only got to to make the cocktails do do you see most states, will you be able to have the self-serve cocktails? Like I know North Carolina, you probably can't do that. We can't, yeah. They, they keep the the hard liquor under lock and key and yeah, uh, you got to go to the ABC stores for it. So what about, what about like the majority of other states? Is that, is that going to be like a common thing where you have to have the, the separate bar with bartenders for cocktails? Yeah, I mean, leaning into the future, we'll probably push for cocktail, uh, full cocktail bars anyway, because it's super important for events. Um, CEOs, CFOs, they all kind of want their own drink or they want that, um, the ability to say, hey, we want to make our own drinks for for our event. So it definitely is very, very helpful. Uh, but yeah, like South Carolina, Tennessee, um, Texas, a lot of those you can self-serve 
cocktail. So you'll have both self-serve cocktails and then a full full cocktail bar. With um, a bartender. Yeah. Yeah. Just, so how how are the self-serve cocktails done? Like if it's like if I wanted a, a vodka soda, is it already mixed? You know, so the vodka and the soda is coming out together, or do I get some vodka here, get some soda over here? Like, how does that? Yeah, work? everything's pre-mixed in a keg, uh, two ways. Okay. There's a, we utilize a company in South Carolina that actually has um, created a cocktail keg that has the pre-mix in it. All we do is add the liquids, so the liquor, um, and then they have. I think they're up to like 260 different styles um and oh, it can wow. be anything from a, a house margarita to a peach margarita to um a transfusion whatever you know whatever they have on there and they're surprisingly very very good um and then we have our other route which is a little bit more crafty cocktail with fresh fruits um and we you know we work on those recipes for our for our franchisees if they want to utilize that um more craft and have their team actually make them with fresh fresh squeezed juices interesting man we should have scheduled this for the afternoon you got me wanting uh <laughs> wanting a cocktail talking about it um so i'm curious like when uh, i don't know if and i'm sure maybe you guys have a way of tracking this but like are you seeing a lot of repeat customers come in or is this the type of thing where they come in they do it once it's cool because it's different but you know, they're not, not maybe coming back on a regular basis. Like what, what do you see there? Yeah, it's, it's returning customers like crazy. Um, just because of the vibe we've created and the service that we've created. And if they got to go to another bar and wait in line to get in or wait to get drinks, like why would you not just go there where you can get something relatively quickly? Uh, but yeah, it's, it's huge for returning customers. We actually are about to launch our loyalty app, uh, which is our loyalty and, and our, our, our own app, which is going to be super, super cool. And, and another reason for people to continue coming to our locations, but it's, we have that younger generation that comes two, three times a week. We have the older generation that comes for a corporate event and then they see how cool it is. So then they bring their friends and family back on like a early Saturday or early evening. Um, but yeah, the, the return customers, yeah, we have the data. It's, kind of crazy to to think like you would say like is it just one 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 try cool that was cool i did it i poured poured my own beer yeah Um, i'm going back to the normal Um, but we've been open since 2017 we actually just set another record um our anniversary party we set another record and we set multiple records for self-serve across the country um but yeah it's back in when we first opened up we did a thousand ounce club so you became like a vip member once you poured a thousand ounces and drank a thousand ounces um we are now switching that into more of our and at that point in the first six months i think we had six to eight months i think we had like 200 and some vip members that already drank a thousand ounces bunch of degenerates um yeah no <laughs> we hired one of them <laughs> there you go perfect <laughs> uh brand ambassador so yeah, that's that's interesting. And and the loyalty app, like as you were as you were talking, that's kind of where my mind went. Like if you guys could could have something like that, you know, because I would imagine like at some point, if if not already, that app will like allow people to buy each other drinks, right? Or like transfer, you know, maybe funds in some way or another. Um 
you know, instead of like having to go up and scan their bracelet for someone else, like, you know, maybe on the app transfer uh, a drink credit or something like that. But I don't know. That's that's really interesting. I was reading something not too long ago talking about Starbucks and, you know, their loyalty app and how customers like preload money on there. Mm-hmm. And it's a bank. They're a bank. That's yeah. That was the whole premise of that article. I'm thinking about my wife. You know, she rolls around with probably a hundred dollars on her Starbucks app at any given time, and if the balance drops below like fifty, she panics and puts more money on there. And it's like Starbucks has their customers lending them money, interest free, uh, and you know they're not just like sitting there with it. Like they're putting that money to work. You know, so that's 100%. that's fascinating. Um, that's really yeah, we interesting. Have, we're working on something not too similar to that, but uh, working on like a VIP, a new VIP program um, that will be subscription model based, but a ton of benefits and the subscription payment will be reimbursed on the app with a same amount credit or the same amount gift card as what the subscription cost you. So it's a win win. Um but there's a lot of benefits for us as as the owner to do that because our cost for that gift card is nowhere near what it would be. Yeah, I would imagine there's some cash flow benefits as well. For sure. Um, yeah, interesting. So, um, talk to me a little bit about the the competitive landscape out there. Um, are you guys like the first, you know, across the country doing this? Are there others doing it you know where where is hopping at in terms of you know leading the charge to to rolling out a national you know brand for this you know self-serve type of concept yeah we're definitely the first that's franchising nationally um there was a regional company called poor taproom poor taproom utilized a, a separate technology and now they've created their own technology but uh, I always say, you know, we're we're a marketing company that just happens to sell beer, wine, and cocktails, and that's what's made us successful. Poor Taproom in Charlotte opened up in a better location than one of our other locations, um, and they closed a year less than a year after we opened ours. Poor in Greenville was their first location. After we opened ours, they they closed, I think, within a year as well. Um, most of the poor taprooms that I know of, outside of two in Atlanta, and they're a licensed deal. Um, they're not a franchise. Uh, most of them have closed except at, at Wilmington and Atlanta. Um, and outside of that, there is one other company. They don't do exactly what we do. They're more <clears throat> food-oriented, f- food-driven, and they have like three different concepts as far as self-serve, but they're not as big of a tap room or doing it to the level we are. Um, they are franchising, or it might be a licensing deal as well. But yeah, for the most part, there's, there's nobody doing it as big as we are and, and going across the country there are some competitors locally that are just local sure. owns um, some of them are like food halls which make a lot of sense to have self-serving a food hall yeah and others are tap rooms similar to ours but they're like one and done or two and done just in their local market yeah yeah and you're always going to have that um so I, like i we chatted last last time we chatted i told you the the poor tap room in wilmington i've been there a few times and i think they're they're still open um but i mean i haven't been there in a while but it's never been very busy when i've gone in there i think i was telling you their place is massive i mean it's probably yeah it's it's two stories it's probably 
you know, 8,000 square feet, like just massive. I don't, I don't think they have a cocktail bar. I could be wrong, but um, anyways, it's, you know, from a, from a consumer standpoint, it was cool the first time we went in there. Um, but you know, there wasn't any food there. Like I said, I don't think there was a cocktail bar. So like, you know, unless you liked beer or, or seltzers, you know, there wasn't really anything there for you. Um, so what do you think, what do you attribute, you know, the success that you guys have had, you know, compared to something like poor where they've had some locations shut down and just, they don't seem to be on the same trajectory that, that hop is on. From day one, I always told our team, um, if you can, if you can create the FOMO that, uh, Firefest did, but actually execute when people walk through our doors, we will be successful. And for for us, marketing is what separates us. Creating that experience before somebody walks into the door, but also executing on that experience. So when they walk into the door, they get everything that they envisioned before they ever even stepped foot into it. So the service levels are super, super important. Um, our team is, I can't give them enough thanks on what they do day in, day out. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, poor tap room was the first really to do this, um, at the level that kind of similar to us. And they were very, very fortunate to be able just to sell, put self-serve taps on a wall and not really create an experience or a vibe. And from day one, I said, you know, we don't need to be better than other bars and restaurants and breweries. We just need to be different. And if we're different, then we can execute and get people into our door. So that's been our motto from day one is don't be better, just be different. And mm. when by being different, we will be better. I like that. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, then there's a good chance that you're looking to create more freedom in your own life. There's also a good chance that you realize that owning your own business can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood and create more of that freedom that we're all looking for. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you realize that I specialize in franchise ownership. In addition to owning franchise businesses myself, I have a franchise consulting firm, Path to Freedom, where I help people navigate what is typically an overwhelming process of understanding franchising, identifying specific franchise companies that could be a fit, and then conducting the due diligence in a thorough and efficient manner with those franchise brands. My whole purpose here is to leverage my experience working for franchisors, owning franchises myself, and how we've been able to use that to create more freedom in our lives and help you determine if that could be a path that makes sense for you as well. So if any of this sounds interesting, if you've considered business ownership in the past, whether you've explored franchising specifically or not, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to learn more about you and what it is that you're working towards in your life and determine if I may be in a position to help. A great starting point is the link below in the show notes, which will take you to a short form to fill out and you'll receive a free copy of an ebook that I've put together, The Seven Steps to Freedom Through Franchise Ownership. That'll also get us connected and I'd love to set up an introductory call where I can explain a little bit more about the process that I use to help people determine if franchise ownership could be a great way to start charting their own path to freedom. So click the link below in the show notes, receive the ebook, and let's get connected. I'd love to hear from you.
let's, I mean, let's talk a little bit about, you know, this from a perspective franchisees eyes, um, you know, are they, um, what, what, what are we, you know, looking at from a square footage standpoint? Cause like I mentioned that poor place is, you know, massive. I know the, the, pl- the location that it's at in Wilmington is on front street downtown. Like I imagine their rent is an ungodly amount of money every month. So what is, how does, how does Hoppin compare to, to something like poor from like a square footage standpoint? Yeah, square footage were four to five thousand square feet. Um, it depending on if you can find something around three thousand square feet with high ceilings where you can add a mezzanine and get you that four to forty five hundred square foot. But on average, you know, we're four to four to five thousand square feet. Okay. And then what's the what's the um kind of typical ramp up time, right? So if someone you know, goes through your your due diligence process, decides they want to become a franchisee. You guys approve them to become a franchisee. Like, how long are you expecting the the build out and and really just the ramp up to actually being able to launch? Like, how long are you expecting that to take? Yeah, once they sign FDD, we start the process of finding real estate as quickly as possible. And every city is different. And the times that we're in right now, um, they're starting to loosen up and, and be a little bit easier than they were in the last two years. But uh, we're looking at, we we ballpark anywhere from 18 to 24 months after you sign the FDD. And that's including your construction. It could be done a little bit quicker, but that's yeah. dependent on the city and the state and for permits, how long those take. I mean, there's some, some cities are taking six months for permitting. Um, I believe so. Yeah. Just the world we live in right now, it's a a little bit longer than say maybe pre pandemic. Is that something that, that you guys as the franchisor are pretty well positioned to help your franchisees with navigating the permitting process? Cause I, I know that's different from one state to the next, maybe even one County to the next, depending on the the state that you're in. And I know it's very difficult for franchisors to be familiar with what all the different requirements and processes are from one state to the next. So is that something you guys are able to help a new franchisee navigate at all? Are you able to handle it almost entirely for them? Like what does that support kind of look like? Yep. So liquor liability and like liquor permits, alcohol permits would be, they would have to handle. Now we, as we continue to grow and, you know, we find somebody that's interested in X state, we will be happy to do some research and help them, but they have to yeah. go through that process and do all that work. On the construction side, construction permits, we are interior design and construction um, GC, or not our GC, our, our interior designer and architect, they have worked with franchises across the country. Um, they're local here in Charlotte. So they, if you want it a la carte, they'll take care of everything, the whole entire construction process for you um, or if you want to be involved with the gc and handle that kind of communication day to day you can pay a little bit less to the architect and you can handle that but yeah as far as permitting process our design and architect team will pretty much handle every bit of that and then it just depends on how much the franchisee wants to be involved during construction whether they say hey you guys handle it for us we're going to pay the additional amount or we will be involved we'll just come to you guys if we have questions Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So really kind of however they want to handle it. Um, what does it look like from a staffing standpoint? I mean, you know, you've already kind of explained why compared to a typical bar or restaurant, you don't need 
nearly as many employees, but assuming it's got a cocktail bar, you know, what are you looking at for kind of like a staff to to launch the business? You need eight to 12 staff members, two full-time, maybe a third full-time if you want somebody that's an event manager. Um, okay. And that's only, I always say, if the franchise E is going to be um, semi-absentee, um, if they're going to be more involved and they're going to kind of be that event person that's in the community, creating those relationships, getting corporate events and private events. Yeah. And then the rest are part-time at $3 an hour. So you got a total of, we usually run about 10, 11 people at each location, um, not all on at the same time, but you know, it could be one person a day up to seven people a day on Saturday, which is at 12 to 12. And they're getting paid roughly $3 an hour. And then the rest of their compensation is coming through tips. Yeah. Um, and they all make phenomenal money. So it's easy to, to find great people that can just smile because for the most part, they're checking people in, showing them how to pour a beer if they've never shown or never poured a beer, picking up glass and then just making sure the experience is fun. And you'll have two or three bartenders um, or one to three bartenders, depending on the day and how busy it is. Okay. Interesting. So do do you guys have any sort of training that the employees need to go through or is it really just the franchise owners that go through some training before before they open? Yeah, franchise owner and then their GM will fly to Charlotte and they'll do a week basically Wednesday through Sunday um, of training. Uh, it's a long process of daytime training, nighttime working in the tap room and getting the ins and outs of the operations. And then their grand opening week, we'll send out our director of training and brand standards. And we, they, he will spend the week with them um, training their staff as well as making sure we're there to support them during that week. Do you do you see this being a better fit for your your bigger cities or do you think there's there's a play at some point to go into some of the smaller markets like a Greenville, South Carolina, but maybe with a you know, somewhat modified location, right? Smaller square footage. Cause again, you're probably just not going to have the level of traffic coming in that you would in Charlotte or Nashville or Dallas. Yeah. A hundred percent. There's, there's definitely um, a niche for it and it's got to be driven by the actual location of the bar. Right. So in Greenville, we're a 25 minute walk from where everybody goes out at night. So we uh, have to recreate people's habits and get them to come to us. Yeah. And there's only a, there's only a pizza shop next to us and a kind of a higher end wine bar restaurant next to us. So there's not a huge draw. And when you're talking a city that small, they're going to the spot where there's five, six other bars where they're going to hang out. Yeah. So now if we move hopping from where we are to there, it's probably a million plus location. Um, and it's crazy to think that, but you know, again, we needed that learning lesson to know what we what directions we need to go moving forward. So yeah, there is opportunities for it. Um, it's just being strategic about being around other bars and restaurants. And if you're there, it's a volume game. Once you get over X amount of revenue, everything else is 75 to 80% bottom line because your expenses don't change. Yeah. You don't have that labor cost. Um, yeah. Interesting. But I mean, good example of where, you know, you guys are are learning and now you're able to apply, you know, some of these things that you've learned, um, you know, to help your your incoming franchisees. So let's talk a little bit about the the type of franchise owners you guys are looking for. And then, you know, we can wrap this thing up. But um, 
Are you looking for franchise owners that have a background in food and beverage themselves? Are you looking for franchise owners that, you know, want to own multiple locations over time? Is it a little bit of both? Like what's, what's your ideal franchise owner look like? Yeah. Having a background in that industry is helpful because I think it gives uh, a perspective, right? If they came from a restaurant and food, they realized how much time and energy and how much of a headache that is. And then they come into this, it just gives them a better perspective on, man, this is fun. It's cool. I don't have to be there every single day. Um, I can live my life and have some freedom, Uh, but it's not needed. Uh, The biggest thing for us is good leaders, people that are care about their their staff, their employees, people that care about their community and want to, you know, uplift their team. Um, At the end of the day, I always flip the triangle upside down. I work for my staff. They don't work for me. So having that same mindset is is people were looking for that. Hey, I want to take Adam who worked for me for three dollars an hour to make him into a manager, or I want to take him and he tells me every six months or once a year, hey, I want to open up my own happen. Okay, well, how do we get you there? Let's let's chat through that. So just somebody that's a really really good leader because running the business um, is very very easy and it's just finding the great a great very happy. Um, personable general manager, which is easy because you just, we find them at restaurants where they're working 70 hours a week for minimal pay and we bring them into Hoppin and they make great money for 40, 40 to 50 hours a week and they don't have to deal with food. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Um, like we, we have an insulation um, franchise. We're just franchisees and uh, our GM and at least three or four of our installers are all food guys. Um, you know, our GM was managing like a small chain of restaurants here in Wilmington. And like, we ask a lot of him, he wears a lot of hats. You know, the insulation business is not an easy business by any means, but <laughs> compared to managing restaurants, this dude's like, yeah. my life is great. Like I don't have to work at night. I don't have to work on the weekends. Um, so many of the headaches that he had doing that are are just gone because it's it's different. So I yeah. can see that that piece for sure. And you know, like I was talking to a candidate that I'm working with the other day, and you know, he was kind of trying to figure out like these these brands that he's evaluating for himself. Like any franchise out there, they've got kind of this bell curve in terms of the the performance of their franchise owners, right? Like they got some people that are crushing it, knocking it out of the park. They got others that are doing well, but not as well as some. And then they got some that, you know, you talk to them or look at their performance and you're like, eh, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to be in a business if that's what I can expect. So anyways, you know, I'm kind of coaching them a little bit on like how to really figure out what's the difference. Like what are these top performers really doing differently from every everyone else? And I said, and this is a completely different type of business from from what you guys are doing here with Hoppin. But I said, you know, I, I guarantee you that one of the key differences is that the top performing franchisees, their people are phenomenal and excited to be there and that carries over to the customer experience when they're in the location you know whereas i'm sure some of these other franchises you know they have people that are fine they show up they kind of go through the motions like they they do everything they need to do but yeah it's a job and they're not like 
you know, developing any level of rapport with the customers there, you know, maybe not like excited to be there, which, you know, that creates a vibe, right? And I imagine in this type of business, right, like the vibe's more important than than in most businesses. So, yeah. um, you know, definitely see your point there, right? It's the franchise owner, like even if they're not going to be in the location day in, day out working, it's really their responsibility to set the tone, you know, to, to set proper expectations with the staff and just create a culture, right? And and I would imagine That's a it. high energy, you know, fun culture is is exactly what you're looking for. Um, are you seeing, I know you guys are early on, you've got, you know, a couple franchises uh, either in the process of being signed, um, I, I think, right? Because you got, got the FDD just got finalized. For 2023, yeah, we have three franchises that are already signed. One opens okay. up next month. Okay. Yeah. So you got a couple sign. I know you've got some interest and, and, uh, you know, more coming down the pipe. What are you seeing up to this point? Are, are most people interested in multiple locations over time? Or are you seeing people that want to just start with one and kind of see how it goes? Yeah. Everybody wants more than one. Now the, the first three that we've signed up were all kind of more strategic, smaller individuals that we know would be great owners and operators and great leaders. Um, one, because they're going to help us sell the next 100. Yeah. Um, then two, but every one of them, they already have their second, you know, in mind. You know, let's get this one rolling. And then we know we want to go in this part of our city. Um, so, yeah, everybody wants multiple units. It makes a lot of sense to have multiple units because I said, as I mentioned, like it's just as an owner, it's very easy to operate and manage at a high level. Um, and it's just being a great leader. So yeah, everybody that we spoke to wants multi-units moving forward, we would prefer to have everybody sign a multi-unit agreement. Yeah. 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 It makes sense with, with this type of business. It definitely makes sense that, you know, it, it the ROI potential becomes more and more attractive. The, the more locations that you have, um, you know, up and running. So it's, this is interesting, man. I like it a lot. Like I said, it's, it's for me, it's refreshing to, you know, have something that's a little more fun to talk about than, uh, you know, some of the other stuff out there. Look, they're all, they're all necessary businesses. There's, uh, you know, pros and cons to any of these, but this is definitely a fun one to talk about and, um, you know, appreciate you coming, coming on the show and kind of giving us the, the scoop on hops. What about your ice cream? Are you, are you going to franchise the ice cream business at some point? Is that is that in the works or no? Can, we, uh, we actually do disclose. Have a yeah, we actually do have a license, a license location, and we have another license location opening this year. But for us, we'll keep that pretty much all corporate, outside of a few that are just friends that want to open up, um, open up the the ice cream shops. But it's the initial upfront cost. It's just easier to grow. I mean, it, it costs us anywhere from 25 to hundred K to open up a location. Um, so the funds you don't really need something to franchise. That, yeah. It's something you do it yourself. And then franchising makes a lot more sense on an investment like hopping. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely makes sense. Well, uh, look, tell us real quick, what markets again, do you have hopping locations open in in case people want to go check it out for themselves? And then, uh, you know, where can people go just to learn more about, you know, the the business itself, the franchise opportunity? We'll put all that in the show notes, make it easy for, for sure. people to find you guys. 
Yeah, currently we have Hoppin in Charlotte, North Carolina, Hoppin in Greenville, South Carolina, Hoppin in Rock Hill, South Carolina will open up uh, early May. And then we have our sister concept called Pin House, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina, self-serve, but as duck pin bowling. And then you can find more information on just our consumer website at hoppinbrands.com. And then if you want to you know, dive more into the franchising, it's hoppinbrandsfranchising.com. Get all the information there. Um, our consumer website has everything you would need as far as what locations are coming, what locations are open, and then any of our socials if you want to follow us. Awesome. Love it, man. We'll put all that in the show notes. But Rich, thank you so much for dropping in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. Wish you guys a ton of luck as you kind of get ready to step on the gas with franchising hopping here. But sounds like you're off to a good start and have some really good momentum. So best of luck with it. Cool, man. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at Path2FRDM.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.